This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Episode 8. We will be talking with the play-by-play voice of the Rochester Red Wings, getting detailed analysis on all of the players that you care about at Rochester including some of the guys who were just called up to Washington, Josh Wetzel stops by. Plus, speaking of those call-ups, Luis Garcia has finally arrived back in D.C. We've got some thoughts. We got to watch Evan Lee's debut against the New York Mets. And one more rehab start for Steven Strasburg coming up this week, all right now on Busting Loose Baseball. This is Busting Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Boston Loose Baseball, I'm Grant Paulson, joined as always by Danny Ruye and producer Darius Dan. Danny is wearing, are those pink or salmon shorts? Salmon, looking for salmon, salmon colored shorts. Match beautifully your t-shirt, which is the Washington Nationals cherry blossom tee. Gray with a little bit of a of like pink uh, leaves flowing yeah. in the wind? Uh, I hesitate to use the word stylish, but it seems appropriate. I think stylish works. Thank you. Yeah. Darius, uh, we are currently watching the Nats and the Mets put the finishing touches on game three of this series. The boys trying to avoid a sweep, and they're not doing as well as we'd like. Tough day at the office in flushing again, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, especially after uh, drubbings the last two nights. I guess it's kind of refreshing that it's only 3-0 at this point. Uh, but let's see how they get through the rest of this game and get out of New York and get on to the next series after this one. All right, so enough about this game. Let's keep things timely here and make sure we don't date this pod. Let's talk Luis Garcia's promotion. We did see him get a hit in his first game since being promoted. Danny, we've been waiting for this. He's hitting 315. He's got a 900 OPS at AAA. Look, a lot of people will tell you, well, he needs to work on his defense, or there's this inconsistency. He's better than Elsaitis Escobar, and that's what I care about. He is a better big leaguer offensively than Elsaitis Escobar. I think Escobar's better defensively, probably not by a ton anymore, because he's basically big league average at shortstop. I also don't necessarily care who's better. This team is not good. This team is not winning this year. To me, this should be about playing the kids and watching them develop. There's this marketing promotional piece that that airs on the Nats uh, television and radio networks uh-huh. where Dave Jagler says, like, let the kids play. These like, kids can play. These kids play. Like, let's do that. that. That's what should be happening right now. So with all due respect to Alcides Escobar, and it's disappointing that he got hurt, and I do feel for him as he got helped off the field with an injury, it's now Luis Garcia time. He's played it over 100 games at the big leagues, and they've been acting like if they call him up, he's going to shrivel into the fetal position and be nervous or not be able to handle it. I think this was a, a salary thing, an arbitration clock Yeah, service thing. time thing. But here we are. He's 22. He's back in the show, and I want to see where he's improved, where he hasn't. I mean, the fact is, defensively, he, at shortstop, is, is probably not ever going to be a plus option. He's not a guy that's going to steal bases. He's just okay on the base paths in terms of his speed. So it's, it's a hit tool for him that could carry him. He's got power, and he's hit for average at the minors at times. 
That's the part of his game we're going to be watching closely. Yeah, I just don't think he's a shortstop. And I, I wonder the full big-picture plan uh, of what the Nationals were doing here. Again, I, I really do, and I'm not faulting him for this. It's just the reality of the league and the structure of the sport at this point. But I think this was a service time manipulation for the most part, um, and having him down on the farm while he was, quote-unquote, working on his defense. I don't know if they were having him work at shortstop just to generally work on increasing his athleticism or, or where he profiles. To me, he's one of those positional second baseman, meaning he's not going to range all over the place. He's not going to make Roberto Alomar athletic plays, and he's not going to do anything incredible. He's going to be potentially a steady, when it's hit to you, you get your good hop, you flip it to first base, and sort of that's the story. I just don't see him as a shortstop. But, you know, I'm not a scout. I'm just a pudgy idiot that does the show with my friend Grant Paulson. So we'll see about that. But I'm with you 100% in terms of Alcides Escobar. And this is the cruel part of the sport, of any sport, really any professional sport. Now's not the time. It's Luis Garcia's time. It's the kid. What's he going to do, make errors? Go, you know, Escobar's got that covered. I need my 22-year-old up in the show, punting it around while he's learned how to hit major league pitching uh, and, and the like. The thing that I've been excited about, though, with Garcia is the increase in power. I, I've always felt like the hit tool was there. Bat-to-ball skills were, were, were going to be pretty good. He's driving the ball a little bit more as he gets older, bigger, stronger, uh, just kind of more, you know, um, in, in, in tune with his body as he's as he's full grown, I wonder where he profiles ultimately. I, I mean, we're going to ask Josh this um, in, in a few minutes when he joins us, but just about Garcia and you know where he fits into a major league lineup. I mean, if to me the ceiling for him is a kind of a Carlos Baerga style. I know Baerga was a switch hitter, but that second baseman that's adequate, even fine at times defensively, good bat to ball, occasional power, someone that could be a 280 with you know 15 to 20 home runs at the major league level as a middle infielder, that's pretty damn good. And that's one of those guys you don't have to worry about, right? And, and eventually you start to build around it. Yeah, you look at the minor league totals this year, and there were a bunch of errors. And to your point, there's big-time questions about whether or not he can play Shortstop. I mean, what I would say to that, though, frankly, is let the guy play and, and let's figure it out. I mean, right. He's committed 13 errors in 96 games at second base and another three errors in 11 games at shortstop uh, at the major league level to this point. And if you look at some of the minor league totals and specifics from this year, I mean, the numbers, again, raise major questions. So when you are just profiling okay defensively, and you don't have above-average speed, and you're short on some tools, you're really going to have to hit to be an impact performer. He was a top 100 prospect at one point. I'm intrigued. You're 22, as you said, you have power, and you're coming off raking in AAA. Mm -hmm. Now, he started to slump a little bit there at the end, and we can ask the guy who called all of his games, you know, what was going on. But sometimes you see this with minor league players, where he was doing everything asked of him for weeks on end, and it really wasn't getting him a whole lot. Basically, he was just waiting, it seemed like, till a date in the calendar when he could get called up because the Nats didn't want to have him get the free agency a mm -hmm. year faster. So sometimes that can become you know, a mental hurdle, a mental block, and, and maybe that was part of the discussion. Maybe that was part of the conversation. I remember Bryce Harper. Remember, and Mike Rizzo's told us the story a couple different times over, but when he went up to, you know, to AAA to see Bryce Harper, who was at the time I think was hitting like 250, doing nothing special there at AAA, he said, what took you so long? Because he, he it's, you can't get motivated. You can't, I mean, it's it's human nature. It's easy to say you got to do the best you can every single day. But when you're that much better than everybody and you know it's time, all right? All, what, what are we doing here? I'm just, I'm barreling up baseballs on a consistent basis. I'm hitting over 300. I'm, I'm driving the ball now. You know, 
at the time, he'd kind of settled into a nice defensive rhythm. I think of late, he's slumped at both at the plate and in the field. But it's it's easy to get bored when you're not at the highest level and you're kind of better than the competition. That's, that's not a crazy thing for a 22-year-old to experience. Bryce did it at 19. I just know this. It would be huge for the Nationals if he turned into a really good player. Whereas it seems like the key boom experiment has not gone well and hasn't worked. Whereas Robles has not done what they needed him to do. If they could turn him into, even if it's at second base, yeah, a really good long-term solution at the big league level and a building block to go with Juan Soto and Kbert Ruiz, you're just that much closer now. It's a, it's a big, big deal that he gives them something, that they hit on him, that he stays at the major league level, and he becomes you know, a future piece on a championship-level club here in D.C. Another guy we should hit on really quickly, we were all over it with our scouting report on Evan Lee. Uh, I got to tip my cap to Cole Henry, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, who's his double-A roommate, starting pitcher in double-A. Cole Henry said he'd be 93 to 90, uh, 90 to 93, touch 95, throw mostly fastball, curveball, the occasional show-me change-up. That's exactly what it was. He pitched into the fourth inning. I mean, his leash was shorter than a ruler. Like, yeah. What was the point of calling him up to, to get the bullpen up when he was still scoreless in, in the mid-50s in pitches? And then yank him is first sign of a run given up again. Maybe there's just a disconnect. Whereas they're managing and coaching this thing day in and day out, like they got to win every game and win every inning. And I guess I'm just in a different mode. And maybe they don't have that luxury. And I can just sit in my recliner at home and watch and say, "Go get the first pick." But to me, this should be about letting Evan Lee pitch through that fourth inning and and trying to see what he's got digging out of a jam with just the two pitches multiple times through an order. I kind of liked what I saw, though. I mean, he didn't—he was all over the place at times. Didn't necessarily always know where the pitches were going, but he was able to paint on the black on both sides of the plate occasionally at 92, 93. Mm-hmm. Missed bats with his curveball here and there. Uh, it, it is a little bit short on stuff because it's just those two pitches. So we're talking about maybe a back of the rotation type profile. But look, in a series where Patrick Corbin got knocked around and they gave up 23 runs in two games, for him to have looked the way he did was at least refreshing to see somebody new out there. It was getting some outs. My favorite part of, of his start today, and it was very brief, by the way. I know he was the pitch count was starting to rise, and and they're all kind of high intensity, high leverage pitches for a guy making his major league debut. But was able to wiggle out of some trouble the first couple innings, right? I mean, his, his own doing, putting guys on, etc. But making a big pitch, his first strikeout, I think, was to was to close the first inning there uh, with runners in scoring position. There's. Stuff to like uh, with him. I really do believe he's that third pitch away from being able to be a consistent major leaguer. A lot of times guys haven't seen you yet. They don't have a book on you. You got the advantage kind of early here with the way his fastball goes and that really big, sharp, nasty, high 70s mile per hour curveball that, uh, you know, that changes your eye line, slows your bat down a little bit, and then all of a sudden 92 jumps on you like it's, you know, 99. But I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that I'm a little frustrated. What was the point of the exercise today? Right. If the point is let's empty the tank and beat the Mets, the next series be damned. Okay, I get that. You've already lost the first two games. You're looking for an, a moment where, hey, let's let this kid struggle out of it here in the fourth inning. Let's let him be one of those guys that learns how to go deep in a game. I'm not talking about throwing seven innings in your big league debut when you're when you're emptying it, but. Who knows? Maybe they saw something. Obviously, I mean, you know, we have access to the proprietary information, but he's in a bad spot there. D. Strange Gordon punts the ball in center field. By the way, what is it you'd say you do here? Thanks for not getting runners home and make some more errors while you're at it. Anyway, by the way, 
they they registered that as an earned run after I, he booted that ball. I, I'm, Two earnings in that start where I I thought for sure the second run wouldn't have gone against his. Legend. It just it just can't. Someone's going to change that. I have to believe it. I don't have any good information on that. I have no I have no like scouting report on that. But I got to believe someone changes it. I, I don't understand. He he made a, an error that allowed the run to score. But that's a great. Hey, that's adversity. What are we trying to teach? We got a kid that doesn't have a ton of pitching experience. He was, was a two-way player. By the way. It's not like he's 20 and he was in high school two years ago. This was a college two-way player who's 24 yeah. who's on the 40-man because he would have been Rule 5 eligible, meaning he's been in the minor leagues for years. Teachable moment. What what a great time. Hey, this you know this bad thing happened behind you that is not your fault, right? You should have been able to get out of the inning with only one run earned or one run allowed. Now that's not the case. Let's let him come back and make a big pitch here. Let's see how he responds. If he doesn't respond well, teach him a moment. If he does, we learn something. These are data points that I think are critically important in a season where, again, we're trying to figure out who's going to be here in two years. Do we know what do we know about Evan Lee? Not that much yet. I saw three and two thirds of Evan Lee against a really good lineup. Right. Uh, just to give you the full breakdown on these stuff from his start. Again, we're recording this. On Wednesday, that's when he pitched. Uh, he threw 41 forcing fastballs and 25 curveballs. He threw one changeup, 67 pitches before he was yanked. Uh, he got 10 swings on the four seamer and, and missed two bats. He got 12 swings on the curveball and missed two bats. Uh, called strikes 12 combined between the two pitches. Located seven fastballs, called strikes in the zone, not offered at five breaking balls. So if you're looking at you know the two pitches, I'd say the curveball was more effective. That was kind of the out pitch for him. Uh, in terms of you know, some of the underlying peripherals and things, uh, the curveball got hit a little bit less hard than the fastball did. Exit velocity on average, 88 off the fastball, 84 off the breaking ball. Spin rate, you know, we heard was pretty good on the four-seamer. That checked out. But I'll tell you what, his maximum spin rate on the breaking ball was up around, uh, I think, 3,000 uh, RPMs, which... Pretty telling. That's I interesting. Would say. Yeah, he um, gets a break that way, so you can tell why they feel okay about him. But he threw one non-fastball or curveball in sixty-seven pitches. You know, the reports sometimes will tell you something, and if you look on like pipeline, it says he has this cutter left on left now. Well, we didn't see that, and I was told he hasn't really used that a ton here recently. Mm -hmm. The changeup we saw once, so you can go fastball, curveball if those two pitches are seventies on the twenty-eighty scale. I wouldn't say either of those pitches are 70s, right? So you're right. that He's probably got to develop uh, something else. But just even if you don't throw it 20, 25, 30% of the time, even 6 to 10%, just to get them off, right? Just to, just to show that you're willing to do that, I think is critically important. All right, let's talk to Josh Wetzel, who's the AAA voice and the director of broadcasting for the Rochester Red Wings. We caught up with him to ask about some of the top players at the 3A level for your Washington Nationals. See you later. And we are joined now by Josh Wetzel, who's the director of broadcasting and the voice of the Red Wings, and he has been since 2003. Josh, Grant, and Danny here in the nation's capital. How you been? Good. How are you guys doing? Great, my friend. Really appreciate the time today. Uh, a couple guys just got called up, and and you know we'll get kind of in depth into that. But the headline name that's there in AAA that we really wanted to hit on first is Kate Cavalli. Out of spring training, or you know, 80% of the way through spring training, it looked like he might make the big club. Hasn't happened. He, he's been up and down a little bit uh, in Rochester. What have you seen from him to this point? And, and kind of give us a, a status report. Yeah, well, he's had two really good starts in a row now. The first time this season that he could probably say that. So I think the last two starts have been 
very encouraging. His most recent start was probably, I shouldn't even say probably, it definitely was his best one of the year. Uh, I think early in the season, he was having some command issues. You know, that was the biggest thing, uh, having trouble landing, uh, especially his secondary pitches for strikes. And uh, that was probably the biggest thing. I'll also say uh, that I think, especially probably his first three or four starts, the numbers maybe looked worse than he had actually pitched. He kind of was in one of those situations where if anything could go wrong, it did when he was on the mound and he had given up some soft contact that ended up being hits, uh, maybe some some balls that should have been turned into outs that weren't. So I think that might have frustrated him a little bit too. But, yeah, the last two starts have been very good for him, so I think he's definitely taking some steps in the right direction for sure. Nine starts of five-and-a-half ERA, but if you look at the numbers – 40 innings, 37 strikeouts. I mean, there are some really good signs in there for a 23-year-old in AAA on the verge of the major leagues. How about the stuff? I mean, give us the update on, on the repertoire, so to speak. You get to watch him start in, start out. I mean, tell people when they see him. Could be in a couple of days or a month or two. Like well, What he's working with right now. Yeah, but his last start in Syracuse, which was his best one of the year, he came out in the first inning, and he was pretty much just pumping fastballs you know, 97 to 99 in the first inning. So he was really blowing it by guys in the first. And then he, he kind of settled in more more along the lines of, say, 95 to 97, I would say, with his fastball. Uh, the one thing I think, you know, to get specific about some stuff stuff with him is his curveball and his slider at times have kind of blended together a little bit, which I think is, is something they've been working on uh, not happening. They want those to be, you know, two distinctly different pitches. But the changeup can be a good pitch for him, too. He, you know, he throws a hard changeup. His changeup a lot of times will be 89, 90 miles an hour. But it can be a pretty good pitch. I think, uh, you know, right now the big thing is, and he had a really good breaking ball the other day at Syracuse, got a lot of swings and misses with it. Sometimes that curveball and the slider, again, are kind of blending together a little bit, and they're trying to uh, to make sure that doesn't happen as much. That start that Josh is talking about at Syracuse, seven shutout, two hit ball, six strikeouts, his best start since being drafted out of Oklahoma. You mentioned, you know, the the strike throwing being a key for him and command and control issues at times. Is is he missing close and you know stuff's getting spit on because there's some former big leaguers he's facing or are there times where he's kind of all over the place, doesn't know where the ball's going because the walk totals as you said, that'd be one thing if I'm nitpicking that worry me a little bit because when you're not, you know, putting guys away at AAA, you come up to the big leagues it only gets harder with walks. Yeah, there were some starts earlier in the year where I would say there were some non-competitive breaking balls where right out of the hand, you knew it wasn't going to be a strike. And so that was obviously a problem that hasn't been as much of an issue lately. But I think, you know, he hasn't pitched that much. I mean, that's the thing that I think a lot of people forget. You know, even in college when he was a position player part of the time, he just didn't throw that many innings. So he's he's still kind of figuring it out. And I think, uh, again, the last two starts have been encouraging. I'll also say this. He looked really good his last start against Syracuse. Syracuse has got a bad triple-A team. <laughs> their, their, their team batting average, believe it or not, guys, going into that start was like 205. I mean, they, they are not a good triple-A team. And uh, now it might not have mattered. He looked really good. It might not have mattered if they were the best-hitting team in triple-A that day. But that's the one caveat I'll give for that last start. He was facing 
the worst offense in AAA baseball. Josh, I'd love you to go into that curveball slider blending together thing for our audience. I played with a number of guys, way, way lower levels in college, but that was a problem. And sometimes guys just had to scrap one uh, at times, even for you know weeks at a time, because the, as you said, those things kind of blend together. It becomes becomes one slurve, which is neither, which is is an effective version of either pitch. What's he doing to kind of combat that and and you know sort of again kind of walk us through that 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 how those things blend together? Yeah, you know, for me and from a broadcast situation, uh, you know, sitting in the booth, it can be difficult to tell sometimes anymore which one's a curve and which one is a slider for him. Last year, it, it wasn't as much of an issue. The slider for him is normally you know in the upper 80s, and the curveball is more lower 80s, and now he's throwing a lot of kind of mid-80s breaking balls. And again, they're kind of blending together with, with basically the same sort of shape. The curveball just is breaking a little bit bigger uh, than the slider. So I think, you know, the, the pitching coach here, Rafael Chavez, who's new to the organization and new to, to Cade, is really, really good. Uh, he has a tremendous track record and has worked with a lot of great pitchers and, and has worked in some really uh, outstanding organizations. And uh, so they're working hard on it. And I think Kate is very receptive to whatever Raphael is trying to get him to do in terms of, of making sure the two don't blend together as much as maybe they have at times. But, you know, the, the breaking ball, whatever you want to call it, that he threw the other day at Syracuse was really good. And, you know, I made fun of their offense, but <laughs> he was throwing some nasty breaking balls his last time out and getting a, a ton of swings and misses with it. Give me kind of a face of the clock there of that curveball when it's right. Yeah, I would say uh, his curveball is more uh, one to seven a lot of the times, I would say, in the clock. You know, something like that. I mean, so it's pretty much a downer breaking curveball. Our guest is the voice of the AAA affiliate for the Washington Nationals. They are now in Rochester with the Red Wings. Also calls uh, games in, in Buffalo, uh, University of Buffalo men's basketball. Josh Wetzel, and we'll talk to him about his career coming up in just a bit. Uh, another of the arms I wanted to hit on with you is a guy that I actually thought may have gotten a start this week if Evan Lee from AA, who's on the 40-man, didn't get the call. And in fact, if he was on the 40-man, maybe he would have been the choice. But you've got another starter who's actually made 10 starts at AAA this year in Jackson Tetro, who's got some interesting numbers. 4-2 mm -hmm. with a 3.35 ERA. He's striking out a batter per inning, 48 Ks and 48 frames. Only 39 hits allowed. 214 average against really impresses me. And he's actually, I believe, ranked right now in a couple of spots as a top 10 prospect in the system in AAA at 25. Tell us about him. Yeah, he's pretty intriguing, I think, too. I, you know, I don't know if he'll be a starter long term. And I, I know some scouts kind of view him maybe as a relief pitcher down the road. But Jackson's a, a tall, skinny guy. He's about 6'5". I think they list him at 190. Uh, long arms and throws a fastball in the 95, 96 mile an hour range. And I think it plays a little bit quicker than that because he has such great extension with the long arms and legs and he pitches pretty aggressively with a fastball, but he's got a curveball also. He's got a slider that a lot of times really looks more like a cutter and a changeup that he probably doesn't use quite as much, but he's had a really good month. I think Tatro is right on the doorstep there of, of getting an opportunity and, uh, He's been good. He's been really, really good. You know, he's someone I wasn't really very familiar with until he came up at the tail end of last season for a couple of starts, and he looked really good. I was impressed. Uh, you know, I think he's, uh, I think he's definitely somebody to keep a, an eye on. Matt Cronin, recent promotion as well, uh, left-handed arm. Yeah. Uh, only a couple innings, obviously, very small sample. But what have you seen there? Yeah, two really good innings. I know he was dominating with Double A. Uh, 
He's got that, that invisible, the fastball that's in the low 90s, but guys don't seem to see it. Uh, tries to pepper the top of the strike zone with it. And he's, he certainly had a ton of swings and misses in double A with it. And the first two appearances here have been very good, but he's got the, the fastball and a curveball, and he throws a splitter. And uh, the results have been really, really good. He comes right after guys. Looks like he's very confident. So two appearances, so it has been a very small sample size, but certainly it looked really good. Yeah, he extrapolated out over his minor league season with the 14 appearances in double A. It's 16 games, 18 and a third innings, 24 strikeouts, so beautiful strikeout rate, and he's yet to allow a run yeah. still. I mean, he's got the unblemished, right. perfect ERA. He was a fourth-round pick out of Arkansas. I remember when he was drafted, and that was going back to uh, pre-pandemic. It was 19. You know, they felt like he could move really quick. Now he's 24. He'll be in the big leagues very soon, obviously. How hard does he throw? Cause you, you said it's low 90s, but he misses yeah. so many bats with that fastball, you'd think it was a firmer velocity. Yeah, he's he's been 91-92, I would say, with a fastball at the two appearances so far. And it's my understanding that's pretty much where he was in double-A also. But I think it's one of those high spin rate uh, fastballs that doesn't drop as much as hitters expected to. And and so it's really sneaky at that old invisible. So he's been very, uh, very effective with it for sure. Is Does he profile as a, a reliever kind of, you know, because of that one bit of mystery there? Do you think he could be stretched out to be a starter? What, what do you think? I don't. I mean, he was a reliever even in college. So yeah, I think he's always been. The, always been. That, yeah, he's always been even at, at Arkansas. So I think for whatever reason, that's always been kind of what uh, what he's profiled as. You know, another guy in the bullpen that uh, that has been really sorry to interrupt you there, Grant. Yeah, go but, for it. Uh, Reed Garrett has been really good. And I know he's somebody probably a lot of people aren't familiar with, but and he's on the older side. I think he's probably what twenty nine or thirty. But he pitched the last two years in Japan for the Cebu Lions and was really good. He's got good stuff. He's been very effective, and and I could absolutely see him surfacing up there at some point, too. He's pitched 17 times to ERA, barely over three. I don't know how you feel. I've always thought, and, and actually a player told me this years and years ago when I was trying to find out, you know, with relief pitching, what matters, what doesn't statistically. They said, never look at my ERA, you know, because you have one bad outing and you're, you you got to have nine or ten really good ones almost to make up for it. But, yeah, you look at some of those peripherals you're talking about for Garrett, 22 innings, 17 hits, 20 strikeouts. One thing I've noticed with him and a couple of the guys at AAA, it does seem like the walk rate out of the bullpen is a little higher than you'd like. Even Tyler Clippard has 14 walks in 21 innings, and he's got a bunch of strikeouts as well with 26 Ks. No one's hitting him. He's got a 192 average against. But it seems like a bunch of those guys do issue free passes. Almost, uh, and a lot of Clippards came in one appearance earlier this year. He was – having a tough time with the the pitch clock, which they're really enforcing big time this year, as I'm sure you guys have talked about. But I think that was an issue for some of these guys early on. And now they seem to have been getting a little bit of a better handle on it, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, that, I think that was the big thing for Tyler. He had one outing where he walked out on five, five guys in an inning or something like that. That'll mess it up in, in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Can you tell us more about the pitch clock? I, I've been able to ask some minor leaguers about it on, on a show I do on Sirius XM. Some of the pitchers I've talked to despise it. Some of the hitters I've talked to kind of like it. W- where are you at on it? And, and give us some of the, the good, the bad, the horror stories, whatever you've experienced. Yeah, I I haven't specifically asked a player in the last couple of weeks probably, but uh, for the most part, the Red Wings players – hate it. <laughs> I would say that um, I think it was certainly a jolt to their system because early on when they started enforcing it, we were having, you know, five, six, seven violations a game. And uh, I think they've fine tuned it a little bit since then. It really 
it really depends a little bit on the feel of the umpiring crew and also who's operating the pitch clock and how quick of a trigger they have. I think a lot of the umpiring crews are talking to pitch clock operators at the start of series and saying, hey, wait a beat before you start the clock. That just smoothed the whole thing out a little bit. Um, but I think players are getting accustomed to it. I mean, just in terms of time of game, it's absolutely worked. I mean, it shaved off a ton of time. There's no question about that. Uh, there have been times where it seems like they're trying to play speed baseball a little bit, um, which is kind of weird. Um, there's some wonky rules to it at times, especially with the the limitation on pickoff throws, that sort of thing. But I think it's going to come to Major League Baseball, just a question of what the time is going to be. I think the current way it's set up maybe wouldn't work at the Major League level with 14 and 19, 14 seconds with the bases empty, 19 seconds with a runner on. They might need to add a little time to that. But uh, it's interesting. And like I say, if you're just gauging it, purely on how much time it's saved. It's absolutely shaved off a lot of time. One more arm I want to ask you about. We saw him actually, uh, we're recording this here on, what day is today? Wednesday? Yeah, we saw him last night for the Nats in a blowout loss to the Mets. But Jordan Weems, uh, plenty mm-hmm. of stuff there, a couple punch outs. He was a six, more than a 6-1 to one strikeout to walk ratio, 32 punches in 24 innings. Certainly the stuff play is older prospect in, in, in his late 20s, kind of an odyssey to get to this point. But what did you see from him? Yeah, he was really good. And I think he, he is in the late 20s, but probably maybe a little bit of a younger arm than that because mm-hmm. he was a position player for so long in the Red Sox system coming up as a catcher. But he was good. I mean, he was throwing, you know, 97, 98 with a slider and a splitter. Um, it kind of depended on outing to outing, which one of those two was a more effective secondary pitch for him. But uh, he was awfully good. I mean, that's been one of the strengths of this Red Wings team. Matthew Lecroy would probably tell you, the, the number one strength of the team so far this season has been the bullpen, which has been really, really good. And Weems has been as good as any of those guys. All right, let's go to the hitters, and we're breaking down some of the prospects in Rochester. We decided to do that this week with so many roster moves, uh, Weems among them, the path being beaten now between AAA and the big leagues as we get into the summer here. Josh Wetzel, director of broadcasting in Rochester, joins us on uh, this Bust and Loose Baseball installment with Grant Paulson and Danny Ruye. So let's start with Luis Garcia. A lot of Nats fans know him, 100-plus games in the big leagues the last two years. There's been a countdown to getting him back to the show. I have had a blast just pulling up the box score night in and night out and seeing how he's doing as he hit 315 with a 900 OPS and power, eight home runs this year. So let's start with his offense because we'll get into the defense, which is a big question too. But – was it as good as it looked? I mean, the numbers are incredible here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been really good. You know, I think uh, the funny thing is that, as it oftentimes works out, coincidentally, he got called up when he was in a slump. The last two weeks, he really has kind of struggled. Uh, I think that has to do with, this is just me talking. I think Louie was kind of over being in AAA. And so, uh, you know, I think that might have led to some of the issues he's had the last couple of weeks. And so maybe getting promoted will will spark him getting on a roll again, but he's been outstanding. I mean, the numbers are really pretty similar to what he put together a year ago in AAA, although I think by and large, he probably is doing a better job of controlling the strike zone, which was probably a big thing they wanted him to work on. Uh, he, he had gone about it a little bit differently this year, pulling the ball a little bit more. Last year, he hit the ball the other way a bit more than he had so far this season. Uh, although lately I think he had been getting back to driving the ball a little bit more to left field. So, uh, look, he's, he's obviously one of the best hitters at this level. And I know there are certainly some teams in this league that are very, very happy to 
see him in Washington now and not in the Rochester lineup for sure. Josh, the story we were told an awful lot was they, the Nationals organization wanted him to work on his defense. I think they wanted to work mm-hmm. on his service time, but that's a discussion <laughs> for another time. Uh, what did you see from him defensively with kind of the full-time shortstop, uh, I don't want to say switch, but basically focusing on that instead of moving around? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The first series of the year in Toledo, he struggled and made, I don't know, two or three errors, I think. And then he went a long stretch without any errors at all. Uh, just airtight defense at shortstop. And then this last, again, this last two weeks, he's kind of started struggling defensively again. He, in the series they just had in Syracuse, he committed, I think, three or four errors um, in a variety of ways, fielding, throwing, you name it. So, uh, he, again, he's been kind of in a slump offensively and defensively the last two weeks. And it seems like a lot of times guys get called up at, at that moment coincidentally a lot, but I think being back up in the big leagues will probably get him headed in the right direction again. What kind of big leaguer do you think ultimately he could be, and and what is the next phase for him? Because he has flashed, but as you know, he's been inconsistent. He hasn't really taken a spot and run with it. Like Hopefully this is the time, and he's still very, very young. He's 22, but what do you see for him in the future in D.C.? Well, I, don't, I mean, I'm not a scout, so I don't know if I'm the best guy to, to answer that, but I know that the Red Wings coaches are big believers in him. Matthew Leacroy, the manager, and the hitting coach, Brian Dabach, really think that he's going to be a very good big league hitter. I think ultimately a lot will probably be dependent on how well he controls the strike zone, though, because, you know, he does occasionally chase pitches out of the zone, and he's done a better job, I think, of avoiding that this year. But if, if he's unable to continue that and, and get better at that, that's probably going to limit, obviously, how well he can perform up there. But uh, they talk a lot about his hands. And I think when, when Matthew Leacroy talks about his hands, he's talking about his hand-eye coordination. He just has kind of a knack for being able to put the, the bat on the ball, which can sometimes maybe get him into trouble too, uh, chasing pitches out of the strike zone. But I know Matthew Leacroy and Brian Dabach are big, big believers that he can be uh, you know, maybe even an all-star caliber player at the major league level, which certainly be something. I mean, that's uh, that's what the Nationals are banking on, right? So, Josh, every every so often you get a player that's just a, a freak of nature, right? Whether it's an Albert Pujols in his prime or Juan Soto that Nats fans know very well, who can do that 300 with 40 homer kind of dance, right? And there are a lot of guys, though, that almost have to pick and choose. You want to be a bat-to-ball guy and you know maybe have 20 balls carry out, or you could swing and miss a lot more and, and hit for some pop. It looks like he, right now at AAA he's doing both. Just your opinion on this, where is Garcia better, being a, a guy that has occasional power, where the, the home run numbers may not be great, or is he better as a hitter, you know, maybe, as you said, expanding the zone sometimes, swinging and missing a bit more, you know, maybe striking out a little bit more often, but hitting for more pop. Where do you think he's more natural? Well, you know, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know how to answer that, to be honest with you. I, haven't really, I almost tend to think the latter might be where he ends up, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. More of a, I don't know. That's it's just me, my gut reaction to that. But that's a good question. I understand what you're saying. But uh, again, I'm not a scout or a coach. But uh, part of me says maybe that's where he ends up being more of a guy who slugs a little bit. Yeah, but don't sell yourself short. You've seen a lot of ball. You, you've been watching with multiple organizations yeah, when these guys turn into over the years. So it's not always rocket science. I don't want right? to paint myself into a corner. I hear you. Understood. Because he, uh, because if he hits 50, then you're like, I, I, I swear I said he would do that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's two guys real quick I do want to hit on with you that are, I don't want to say lesser known, but that are interesting to me. 
Donovan Casey came over at the deadline as part of the Josiah Gray, Kbert Ruiz deal, kind of a power and a defense guy, not hitting for average at all, about 210. And there is swing and miss in his game. But the idea was maybe extra outfielder who could hit home runs and play really good defense and is an athlete. Kind of give me a profile and what, what you've seen from him this year, because obviously the numbers have been a little disappointing. Yeah, he swings and misses a lot. So that's going to be the big the big issue is is cutting down on that. He is a terrific outfielder, very good base runner. He has as good of an outfield arm as I think there might be in the entire sport. And, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, th- he can absolutely throw from right field. And it's accurate, and he's made some of the best throws I can remember seeing this year. And I've, a- I've asked Matthew Leacorn and Brian Daubach, I mean, where does his arm rank from guys you've seen? And, and it's right up there at the top of the scale for those guys. So uh, I think it just comes down to what kind of a hitter can he be and can he limit the swinging and missing and, and get on base a little bit better? Because, yeah, then you're talking about somebody who absolutely could at worst be a you know a fourth outfielder because the defense, the base running, and especially that arm is, is so outstanding. Now, I don't know if you'd consider him a prospect or a high-end prospect or not. He's obviously ranked in pipeline in a bunch of the – the uh, publications, a guy who is not necessarily a prospect, he's 30 years old, but who is mashed. I don't even know the backstory. What is the deal with Joey Manessis? So you'd have to tell me how to say his yeah. name. He's hitting tanks. I-, I just see him in the box he's score. Good. All that dude does is rope out base hits, and I remember yeah. looking up that he has played pro ball overseas. He's re- He can really hit, man. Uh, he's kind of a late bloomer, I guess. He's from Mexico. He came up through the Braves system, never got to AAA with the Braves, and hit for a decent average, but didn't hit for a lot of power. And then the Phillies signed him as a minor league free agent in 2018, sent him to AAA, and he wound up being the International League most valuable player that year. Hit for average and power. And he was kind of blocked to the Phillies by Reese Hoskins. He didn't get called up. And so he went to Japan in 2019 um, and then came back to the States 2020. Of course, then there wasn't a minor league season. And then last year was back with the Red Sox in AA and AAA, and then the Nationals signed him this year is a great sign. I mean, he can really, really hit. Um, and, and I know he's somebody that Brian Dabak firmly believes can hit in the major leagues. He just needs the opportunity to get up there. And, and Dabak's hoping that at some point he gets a chance to, to get up there and get consistent at bats because he's a really good hitter. And I've heard that Davey Johnson, uh, or Davey Martinez, I'm sorry, Davey Martinez liked what he saw from him in spring training too because he got a chance to get some at bats in the in the later innings and some spring training games, so yeah, I know he's thirty years old, but he's a name I think Nats fans should remember because I I tell you what I think there's a shot at some point he surfaces this year in Washington. I really do. The, just that background you just gave us gives me shades and vibes of uh, like Yadiel Hernandez. A Yadiel, little bit. yeah, that's who they bring up. Yeah, they like maybe he could be another Yadiel Hernandez. Absolutely. I want to ask about Lucius Fox real quick. That's the last guy I was curious about. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the athleticism oozes off the page. You could see that in spring training, he, the way he you know moves around, but maybe not as well-rounded yet. A little bit of an older prospect at this point, but I know he's only played, I think, 14 games up there. But what have you seen from him? He's been nicked up a little bit, uh, so he hasn't played a ton. Uh, the speed you know, is obviously something that kind of flies off the page at you. can really run. Uh, but he just hasn't been able to play much because he had uh, he had a thumb injury and he kind of tried to play through that, so he wasn't able to make very strong contact when he was dealing with the thumb issue. And now I think he has uh, one of his legs is bothering him a little bit. And it's not a real it's not a real uh, big injury, nothing that I think is going to land him on the injured list, at least not at the moment. 
but he just hasn't been able to, to play consistently. So they're just wanting him to get healthy so he can get out there and play every day right now. couple of moments left with Josh Wetzel, who's joining us here on Boston Loose Baseball. So tell me about the ballpark and give us an idea of the fan base. I mean, are, are people in Rochester, like they come out to watch the Red Wings, obviously. They get invested in the players, though. Are they becoming, are they Nats fans? Do, do people wear Nats gear that aren't from D.C. when they go to the games? Like, what's that like? Yeah, there are some people that are starting to do that, wear Nationals jerseys and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people from Western New York or the Rochester area that kind of end up living in the DC area too. So some of those folks come back to visit family and, and they'll come check out some of the nationals prospects, but you know, the frontier field, the ballpark has been here since 1997 uh, located right in downtown Rochester. And one of the unique things about this franchise is that it's been around forever. Uh, one of the original minor league franchises in the entire sport. And yet Washington's only the fourth different major league team they've been affiliated with. They were affiliated with the Cardinals for like four decades and then the Orioles for about four decades. Of course, in your area, a lot of Baltimore Orioles fans will remember Rochester being where so many great Orioles players came from. Of course. And then the Red, yeah, then the Red Wings were with the Twins for a long time. So uh, switching, or, uh, switching major league affiliations is not something that they're used to. And, uh, and so it's still kind of a new thing. But I think the Nationals are – Taking hold, and I know you know Strasburg's going to be starting here Friday night, so a lot of people are really excited about coming out and and seeing him pitch on Friday. Yeah, that's going to be great to see how he stacks up against some AAA competition after a couple starts in Fredericksburg. Lastly, you have been calling games at the minor league level for a while, and as a pro's kind of been around, you have to enjoy some of what you get to see from a minor league standpoint with the giveaways or the theme nights. Anything stand out when you look back at some of your favorite themes or just hilarious you know, things you saw at the ballpark, people that came oh, in throwing a first pitch that, that are like on your Mount Rushmore, so to speak? Oh, wow. That's a good uh, good question. Uh, at this point in time, I've kind of started to tune out a lot of it, I, I must admit. <laughs> You're like, I just um, want to watch you know, baseball. Some, I just want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not too plugged into a lot of that stuff. I mean, uh, there have been some crazy things that have happened for sure over the years. Um, like, you know, in, when I was in Kinston, North Carolina, we had a uh, – a mascot that used to, you know, run, run around the bases, race a kid. You've seen that promo before. I love that. Yep. And he, and he would kind of get to home plate and celebrate a lot. And uh, you guys would m- remember this name, Mike Bassick, pitch for the nationals, right? Yeah, sure. I think he gave, gave up, up Bonds uh, Barry Bonds is exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, Mike, Mike was pitching for us in Kinston. Cleveland was his original organization. And this mascot who will remain nameless, also was known for going into the clubhouse and and crushing the spread before players got in there, (laughs) which the players were upset about. And Bassick, I believe, told everybody, next time that guy runs the bases, if I'm on the mound, I'm going to throw a warm-up pitch and hit him. And sure enough, the mascot circles the bases. He gets the home plate, and he's celebrating. And Bassick hops on the mound and smokes him right in the shoulder with a warm-up pitch. Just dropped him. That's amazing. Hilarious. Yeah, amazing. It was great. It was like something right out of Bull Durham. Absolutely love it. All right, we always end these interviews on the on the Bustin' Loose Baseball Pod. Our producer Darius making us sound good the whole time. He's listening to the interview and then he gets the last question, either a follow-up or something he found okay. interesting. So Darius, stage is yours. Josh, I got a two-parter for you. 
First, All right. I just looked this up because you just mentioned the Rochester Red Wings are a former affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. They're mm-hmm. the largest home crowd at the Rochester ballpark was July tenth, nineteen ninety seven. You want to guess who was there? What player Hideki was there? Rabu pitched it. Hideki <laughs> Rabu was pitching. No way. Okay, okay. Cal Ripken was there that night. So oh, no, that, it was the exhibition game. Yeah. Exhibition yeah, exhibition yeah, 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 yeah. Right, okay, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yep. so that was that. Any chance that Strasburg being there on Friday night tops that? Uh, you know, I would love to say yes, but it probably won't. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, yeah. That would be awesome, though. I think the weather's going to cooperate, so we'll have to wait and see, but... Uh, that was the first year of the ballpark, too, so that helped out a little bit. I'm looking at the list in front of Darius here, and you were all over it because that was Yankees, Paul Tuckett, yeah. and it was a, probably a Rabu and Pettit, May 6, 2012. No, well, yeah, that was a different deal. The Yankees, the the biggest crowd for Red Wings regular season game was Hideki Rabu in 97. Oh, yeah, June of 97. Then, there it is. Oh, gotcha. 13485. Look at you with your your <laughs> and then, tr- attendance uh, I've been here way, I've been here way too long, Brad. Trust me. <laughs> um I I've, I've looked at our media guide a few times. Yeah, you've uh, thumbed through it. Yeah. The Pettit that the, the Pettit thing is actually a good story though. That was in 2012 mm-hmm. when uh when Scranton's ballpark was being completely renovated. So they played their home games on the road and they played about 40 of their home games at Frontier Field that year. And uh, Pettit was going to rehab with the double-A team because uh, Rochester was at home that day. And the general manager of the Red Wings, Dan Mason, called up Brian Cashman. And he said, look, if I can somehow, if I can somehow move our Rochester game somewhere else, would you have Andy Pettit hitch in Rochester that day? And Brian Cashman said, yeah, but there's no way you're going to be able to do it. But, Dan got a hold of the Minnesota Twins and the New York Mets, who at that time were affiliated with Buffalo, and they agreed to not play on that Sunday and let Scranton play Pawtucket here at Frontier Field. And so Pettit pitched the first five innings of that game in front of whatever that crowd was. It was huge. Wow. And and he, he after he came out of the game, he went up into the concourse and signed autographs for a couple of innings. Thir- wow. That's pretty cool. 13-5-84 cool, yeah. the number of that, uh, that attendance that night. Okay, there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Now the other one I had for you was you travel a lot with the team, obviously. What's your favorite minor league ballpark that you've been to so far? Uh favorite minor league ballpark uh, aside from your own home. Charlotte. Yeah, probably Charlotte. Charlotte's view is as good as it gets, uh, with the downtown skyline and everything. Uh my favorite minor league city would probably be Louisville, which is a dangerous, dangerous place to have a long series. <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky is a fun, fun town. The bats. Really, they, really fun. And they bring out crowds, too. Charlotte, I have not yeah. been to a game there still somehow, but I've been to that ballpark a bunch. It's right downtown. It's beautiful. I, I was covering a, a then Redskins-Panthers game when they were building it. And just where they dropped it into that city, I didn't know how it was going to work. But it, it is gorgeous. Yeah, unfortunately, it's too small of an area to make that a major league ballpark. Because that would, I mean, Charlotte, you know, could possibly get an expansion team, but it probably wouldn't work at that spot the ballpark is. But, yeah, that's that's a beautiful view, uh, view there in uptown Charlotte, as they call it. Josh, this was great, man. Really appreciate the insight and all the players and, and swapping a couple of stories with you. It was a blast, man. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Long gone. Big thanks to Josh for that information. Very helpful deep dive. Maybe we can... Um... You know, dabble down to, to Harrisburg and get someone on from the AA affiliate next couple of weeks as we continue to get you as much intel as we can on these prospects. 
and on the minor league system. I think it's going to be that kind of summer around <laughs> here on Boston Loose Baseball. All right, before we get to our superlative of the week, Darius, I want to hear some comments. Make us feel good about ourselves. What are the people saying? We like to shout people out who leave something nice. Well, we absolutely love it when people leave us five-star reviews on the Apple Podcast app, so we appreciate you for doing that. This one's from EFWOEF. Oh, that's a, quite the name. You won't that's say that again. easy username <laughs> to say. EFWOEF. Uh, he says, long-time listener, first-time reviewer, more Graham, more Donnie, more Natitude. That's how I'm winning off the field. Adam, oh, clearly, that clearly a, a fan from the Grand Danny show. That's a Grand yes, Danny Mark. Terrible. We love you in that way. Thank you, sir. <laughs> and then uh, this other review here from XXWeezer94, he says, this is a must listen for any Nats fan. Grant and Danny really know the team and the sport and have a great chemistry. I really look forward to every new edition. Thank you so much, Weezer94. Thank you. What Good review sweetheart. by Weezer94. Now, is that Weezer the band, do you think? Yes. Uh, I think absolutely. this is the band Weezer that did that. Rivers absolutely. Cuomo? Is that the name of the band guy? Wow, look at you. That's is that right? That's cool. Correct. That sounds right to me. That yeah. is correct, yes. Are you a Weezer guy? I'm a Weezer guy, yes. I didn't know that about I'm you. actually so upset myself that I didn't go see them in concert at Nats Park this past summer. I know, that was yeah. big. Yeah. My brothers are big Weezers guys. Weezers? That, Weezers that, guys. That, they're, both, they're both Weezers. They're Weezer guys. As you can tell, I'm not as big a Weezer guy. Favorite Weezer song, Danny? Go. It's, it's too cliche, but it, it, I'll take uh, Buddy Holly. That's, I mean, that's the only correct answer. It's, it's so cliche, yeah. but it's everyone's favorite, but... Yeah. I mean, Say It Ain't So could be up there. It's up there. Say yeah. It Ain't So. I used to love singing that. You can edit that band. out, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that it? Is that, that the might, one? That might cost us. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, that is the one. Don't yeah. take your review back, Mr. Weezer. <laughs> Please, Weezer, don't do it. Don't leave us in that way. All right, uh, let's do a little superlative. End the show. We always do it. You're getting into a bar fight, fellas. You have to take on 15 people, and you can bring one Washington National with you, and you've got to get out of that bar alive. 15 against one, you pick up the phone and you say, hey, I'm here. They're able to teleport to you and get you out of that bar. It's you and them and a stool, and, and you're taking on 15 people. Darius, who's coming with you? I mean, the easy answer here, guys, is Nelson Cruz. Do you not see how jacked this dude is? <laughs> he he's doesn't a big boy, even need... but he's a nice guy. No. They he's, don't need to know that. The bad guys too, don't need to know. But he's too much of a sweetheart. As long as he shows up and shows his, shows his muscles... That's that's all I need. They'll run away in fear when they see Nelson Cruz standing behind me. Cruz was going to be my answer, so I'm going to go to my number two seat here, GP. How about Tanner Rainey? 6'2", 240, diesel, muscular, like low hat. You know what I mean? Like he'll come in with his hat down low, closer style, with like a with a like he'll have entrance music, WWE style. That's a pretty intimidating dude. I could see it. Uh, I'm going to go with Yona Dome. Never met him. Don't know what his personality is. I know that dude's 6'2", 250, and he's got long limbs. Yep. Let's just whirling dervish this thing, and let's just hurricane spin move with our arms out and mm -hmm. maybe knock some people over. Did you say 6'2", 250? Yeah, 6'2", yeah. 250. That's a big guy. Yeah, he's guy. just a big sun gun. They got a few big dudes. Uh, Riley Adams didn't get mentioned. I thought someone would take him because he just I looks about it. absolutely ripped. He's enormous and not fat. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, a, he's he weighs a lot, and it's muscular weight. It's from all the muscles he has. Do we want to say least likely to be called in this situation? Steve Ciszek. Interesting. He's very tall, though. Yeah, I just think he would come up and be like, "Let, let me play you a weird song on my mouth harmonica." Poor Steve Ciszek. Last week got, I said he, got beat up a he bit. was yeah. the most likely guy to cry during a movie or a wedding, and this week you're saying you'd never call him in a bar fight. 
Poor guy. He's probably like the best dude ever. In fact, I've interviewed him years ago. Nice man. And he was a good dude. Uh, Darius, the guy you would never call in a bar fight. I, I do feel like this guy would be kind of scrappy if if needed if needed to be, but I'm going to go with D, D. Strange Gordon. I, I, he might get whipped around. He's so tiny. He's tiny. Yeah. <laughs> you should just get a child at that point. He's taking on some shrapnel today, too. I Danny know. was pretty angry with him. I'm going to go with Paolo Espino. I think he would do everything very slowly. I think Paolo Espino, would, as he went to punch someone, it would be like in slow Telegraphing motion. the punch. Like uh, some Baywatch, uh, like slow motion, like, like he's just trying to, mm-hmm. it's like we just both get knocked out. Also, he's 35, which I'm acting like he's 60 when I'm 34. He's, pre- he's probably pretty tired. But I worry about his his ability to, mm-hmm. to fight still at yep. that age. Yep. You know? I think it's fair. He should be in a rocking chair drinking lemonade or something like that. At 35 compared to most of his Nats peers. All right, that was Bustin' Loose Baseball. We are back at it next week with episode number nine. For Darius, for Danny, I'm Grant saying so long. Please spread the word, get people to listen, rate and review. We appreciate you.